Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So this episode might end up being a little discombobulated and rambly, but it's something I wanted to talk about. And this is not going to be on the topic of how I feel about anti-racism or the anti-racist movement. I think I pretty well covered that in the last episode. But this was something that I was thinking about even before that particular controversy cropped up with the anti-racism movement and libertarians and people wanting to take the word back and blah, 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 blah. Like I said, I covered that in the last episode. I don't really want to talk about it again. Said everything I needed to say, but something I was noticing about the anti-racism movement, ever since it kind of exploded onto the scene, is that there are already kind of certain trend lines that are popping up. And if you do this for long enough, if you cover different movements for long enough, if you're online long enough, you start to notice the patterns emerge. You start to see the trend lines appear of where a movement is ultimately going to end up. And I wanted to compare where I see the anti-racism movement ending up in comparison to two specific other movements that we've already kind of seen where they end. And the one that really kind of got me thinking about this, and I'll post a link down in the show notes and I suggest everybody read it, is that Lee Stein did a post on Medium about the demise of girl boss feminism, which if you're not aware of what girl boss feminism is, Think back to, we're going back to like 2013-ish, when Sheryl Sandberg released Lean In, which was much like white fragility is for the anti-racism movement. Lean In was the Bible for the girl boss feminism movement. And the whole idea was that the, the promotion of the idea that as a woman, you can kind of have it all. Like the, the whole kind of idea of, of course, you can make it to the C-suite by 30. Of course, you can start your own business and become wildly successful. Of course, you could do all of these things. And in Sandberg's book, she basically gives like an outline of how to get past certain behaviors that most women have in the workplace as far as not well, leaning in, not being aggressive, being more passive, not speaking up for yourself, not not advocating for yourself and how to get past those sorts of things so that you can become successful in the workplace. Obviously spawned a whole movement. This is, and I, I, I think the best way to try to encapsulate what ended up happening with girl boss feminism is this is the movement that brought us millennial pink. Which, if you don't know what Millennial Pink is, you've, you've seen it. I know you've seen it, but you may not have known that it has a name. It's that color of pink, usually like a, like a baby pink or sometimes even like a baby mauve, but with a definite gray undercast. The idea being that it's feminine, but not overly so. It's edgy, but not super offensive and in your face. It's kind of straddling that line between not giving up your femininity, but still showing that you're not the kind of woman who wears, say, bubblegum pink. You know, it, it's it's that kind of thing. And it's th- this also kind of leads to the end of where girl boss feminism is now as it stands, but we'll get there. But I, I started thinking about that. And I, like I said, I started kind of looking 
at various things that are popping up here with the anti-racism movement and how there are certain parallels already starting to emerge with the development of the movement and where it's going and where it's going to end. But I want to start kind of with Robin D'Angelo. And this is this is one of the one of the ways where I can see how anti-racism is going to end up a lot like girl boss feminism and also to an extent the Me Too movement, although this didn't happen so much in the Me Too movement, but can somebody please explain to me how the hell Robin D'Angelo became the avatar of the anti-racism movement? Robin D'Angelo is a rich white woman who has made millions of dollars off of selling this book. And by the way, this book didn't just come out. It's been out for like three years. So this isn't anything new. So she's been making money off of this book. She's been making tens of thousands of dollars a pop doing anti-racism seminars. I- excuse me? How did how did she get this? Like, I, I she's not even black. She's a rich white woman. Which, if this doesn't prove to you that... There's grift here. Like, obviously, D'Angelo has a very specific purpose in pushing this ideology because she has financial skin in this game. She's made millions of dollars off of it. And I'm sure in the coming months to maybe years, there's going to be plenty of other people running into this space because the money's there. And so they're going to start pushing this ideology because there's people willing to buy this shit. So... I can see this becoming kind of how girl boss feminism did as turning into something of a grift, honestly, where you're, you're pushing an idea because you're making money off of it. You're making a lot of money off of it. The only difference is girl boss feminism didn't really do any kind of damage to society. Really? It didn't do any damage to feminism. It didn't do a damage to anything beyond feminism. Whereas the anti-racism movement, I think can do some actual damage and and that's that's frightening because i know i mean like i said i know for a fact there are going to be people rushing into this space to make money so yeah it's just it's it's going to become the new grift honestly it just it's going to become kind of what intersectional feminism was remember when we we talked about gender and not race and there was a lot of people rushing into that space into kind of like that critical theory space because there was a lot of money to be made in selling books on the topic and of giving speeches on the topic. Yeah, that's where anti-racism is going to end up. So that's kind of where I wanted to start with pointing out where this movement is going to end, in my opinion. Now, to bring it to the Me Too movement, like I said, obviously there wasn't the kind of money to be made promoting the Me Too movement as there was with girl boss feminism and what I think will be the anti-racism movement. But there is a different parallel that I want to point out. And I kind of made a joke about this on Twitter that at least the Me Too movement had a good six months before people started weaponizing it for petty bullshit and the anti-racism movement got like six weeks. There's already this trend of taking this idea or this framework of anti-racism and using it to punish people who it it has nothing to do with anti-racism, but you're using that platform. You're using these words in order to, 
enact some kind of petty personal or professional grievance like we saw with the Me Too movement. It devolved from it being about men like Harvey Weinstein to being about men like NZ Zanzari, where obviously these are two entirely different situations. Harvey Weinstein is a rapist and Z Zanzari is bad at sex. But it all got lumped under this same umbrella because of using the hashtag and the concept of Me Too to punish somebody who shouldn't have been under that umbrella in the first place, but got put there and then that ended up damaging the whole movement. And like I said, you can already see this with the anti-racism thing. I don't think I talked about this story on the podcast before, but God, probably about a month or two ago, and I'm sure you remember it because everybody talked about it. Um, the Washington Post ran a story about this Halloween party that they had in 2018. And I don't mean like the Washington Post. I mean, people that worked at the Washington Post. This Halloween party in 2018 and this woman, Sue Schaefer, went in a costume that involved blackface. Basically, what she was trying to do is make fun of Megyn Kelly, because at the time, that was when the Megyn Kelly blackface controversy was going on, and that's ultimately what cost her her job. So Sue Schaefer shows up. She's dressed up as Megyn Kelly in blackface. And at the time, things were said to her at the party. Um, Apparently, she left the party in tears. She was very upset. But here we are in 2020, resurfacing this story that nobody gives a fuck about. Like, nobody cares about your Halloween party. But the upshot was... Sue Schaefer got fired from her job that she, I mean, she was no longer with the Washington Post. She was working for somebody else entirely. I don't even think she was in media anymore. And that caused a whole bunch of backlash against the Washington Post. And I pointed out when that story first dropped, I'm like, this is not about blackface. This is not about being anti-racist. This is somebody wanting to enact a personal or professional grudge against somebody. And it turns out I was actually right. They just hit the wrong target because in the follow-up piece, um, the two women who originally resurfaced the story were very confused about what happened to Sue Schaefer because she wasn't the target. The target was actually the man who was hosting the Halloween party. He was the one that was supposed to be canceled for this. So I was like, I was right. Like, this was nothing about having any kind of principled stance about anything. You used this movement to try to take out somebody who you have a problem with. And that's the same thing that ended up happening with the Me Too movement. I mean, there were so many stories that came out about women putting it under this umbrella of Me Too, where it was just either professional grievances or... The kind of personal grievances were, oh, I had sex with this guy, and yes, it was consensual, but I didn't like it, or I felt pressured, or he was just kind of being an asshole. Stuff like that that had nothing to do with the core of what the Me Too movement was supposed to be about, which was about elevating sexual assault and discussing sexual assault and sexual assault survivors. But it got co-opted into this like bright, shiny new knife that you could go around and just start stabbing people with all over the place. That really had nothing to do with the movement itself. But because it became this new weapon, people started running around and using it. And I can see that already happening with anti-racism. The other story I know I haven't talked about on the pod, but um, San Francisco's MoMA. The 
art director of the museum had to step down because he said that in light of everything, of course, MoMA will continue to highlight artists of all backgrounds, including white artists. I mean, I guess that's a controversial thing to say. Again, I think this is one of those where there was some kind of personal or professional grudge in the background and all of a sudden you used this moment to take out somebody that you wanted gone in the first place, but didn't really have an excuse for until right now. So yeah, it's going to keep happening. Watch, trust and believe this is going to accelerate because this is just the beginning of the anti-racist movement. This is just people starting to learn, like spin up and realize, oh, we've got this new thing that we can accuse people of and get rid of them with scant evidence. So now this is this is the new this is the new weapon. This is the new shiny knife. We we don't have we don't use me too anymore. We use anti-racism, which um I don't I don't know if feminists realize that they just got completely sidelined in this conversation because we don't talk about gender anymore. We're not talking about sexual assault anymore. We're talking about race. And now it's just like you guys go sit down somewhere because you're not even part of this conversation anymore. But back to the comparison between anti-racism and girl boss feminism, I think these are both movements that ultimately started in a good place. I mean, obviously, girl boss feminism started in a good place. It started in this idea of encouraging women to, you know, get in there, throw some elbows, stand up for yourself, make some noise, get like, get in there. And so in order to have more success in corporate America. I think anti-racism, and like I said, I've made my personal views clear on the movement and why I will never accept this as something that I would ever ascribe to. But I do think there are people out there who are trying in good faith to try to, for some reason, reclaim the word or basically make it mean something more along the lines of being more sensitive about race and kind of thinking about racism and thinking about especially like institutionalized racism more robustly than perhaps they had before. Again, this is something I don't really understand because I'm, I'm a libertarian. I mean, already think about these things don't really need another label, but I will take on faith that there are people who are coming from a good place and trying to promote anti-racism. Ultimately, where girl boss feminism ended was by and large as a marketing gimmick. It, it devolved in the way that a lot of movements devolve from something that's trying to accomplish a specific thing to basically being kind of this performative sort of thing where you buy the merchandise, like you, you buy the mug that says male tears and you think you're doing something or you, you get your, your membership to the wing or you, you do whatever it is that you do that's performative. It's spending money and that's fine. I'm, trust me, I'm a capitalist. I mean, buy, buying stuff is fun, but this idea that it basically devolves into the idea that buying things or spending money on certain things so that you can show that you have them is putting in work, which it is not. And you can kind of already see this 
with anti-racism, especially going back to Robin D'Angelo's book. It's very popular right now to buy a copy of White Fragility and post a picture of it on social media that you have the book so that everybody knows that you have the book. And whether anybody is reading it or not, I don't know. I hope not because from what I've been able to tell from people who have tried to read it, it is absolute trash garbage. And there is a whole industry of people cropping up to write pieces about the book. But it's not the point of reading the book. It's the point of showing the world that you bought the book. You own the book. You have done the thing. And that's not, that's not work. That's not, that's not changing anything. That's not, that, that's not doing criminal justice reform. That's not abolishing QI. That's not addressing racism and policing. That's not addressing anything. But that's, that's enough for some people to show that you did the performative thing. So like that, I can see anti-racism ending in that same place as girl boss feminism, where it's about externally showing that you have the things that denote you as a member of this particular group and that that's where you stop. And that's not helpful. I mean, it's helpful to Robin D'Angelo. It's helpful to people who are selling millennial pink mugs. It's not helpful to, to, to doing anything about racism or sexism or inequality. But it's just, it's that de-evolution and I can see it happening. I can also already see it happening too on the business side of things. I know after the, the anti-racism thing started becoming a huge thing, it started taking off. My email inbox was full, full of emails from retailers that I normally do business with assuring me that they believe that Black Lives Matter, which, okay, cool. I already assumed you thought that because you're not psychopaths. But again, it's becoming like this marketing gimmick to be out here, be like Black Lives Matter. Here's here's a coupon code. And I, I actually saw a couple like that. Like there were coupon codes associated with it. I'm like, this is not... This is not selling merch. Like, that's not what this is supposed to be about. This is supposed to be about actually affecting change in this country, not buying the right thing. And I can see anti-racism being reduced to just like girl boss feminism, to just being this kind of performative thing. And to bring it back to the Lee Stein piece, because she actually pointed out something that I want to address. And... She used the phrase woke capitalism, which I like this phrase, so I am stealing it. But woke capitalism is basically that idea that I just explained that through the purchasing of things and letting everybody know that you purchased the things, that that is doing the work. And it's not. And she is very critical of that, too. But where she's criticizing it is from the supply side. I criticize this from the demand side, obviously, because... Nobody is selling what nobody wants to buy. So to me, I mean, retailers filling a void, retailers providing products that people want to buy, I mean, that's capitalism. That's going to happen regardless of how you happen to feel about any movement. Like if there's money to be made, somebody's going to make money. Like I said, when I was talking about Robin D'Angelo, 
if there's a lot of money to be made in a certain movement, people are going to move into that space and start selling whatever it is they sell, be it their books, their merch, their services, whatever, because that's the hot thing right now. If you want to be mad at anybody in this scenario, be mad at the people who are buying what these people are selling and then assuming that that's all that you have to do because it's not. And it's just, it's going to stall out this movement because it's going to become, I think, just absolutely just performative thing where you, you buy the book or you buy the hoodie or you do whatever it is you do. You support the brand that supports Black Lives Matter or you give to the charity, which I mean, by all means, give the charities. But don't think that that's all that is needed of you to affect any kind of change in this country, because if that's all it took... We would have had all of these problems solved like decades ago. If all you had to do was just buy things, all the, we wouldn't even be here. All of this would be solved. It would all have been solved because we all would have just bought the things and then poof, racial equality, criminal justice, totally fixed. Gender inequality, totally fixed. Sexism, no more because we bought the millennial pink coffee mug. And then we bought the, the Millennial Pink, the, the, the Yeti cooler, the one that's got the little bumpy spikes on it. It costs like $50. Yay, we fixed it. But that doesn't fix it. And to kind of wrap up my thoughts on this and to kind of bring it back to something that I've been complaining about for a while, especially in light of like protesters and people who tear down statues and people who are rioting and looting especially people who loot and tear down statues. It's, it's doing the absolute least that you can possibly do while gaining the maximum amount of attention for doing the thing. And it just, it annoys me. It absolutely fucking annoys me because this is not how we get anything changed. But it always seems to backslide into, and, and I mean, even... Even in the wake of the George Floyd death and the protest, they were about police brutality. They were about qualified immunity. They were about abolishing the police or defunding the police or somehow reforming the police. And now it's, uh, it's like anti-racism just came in and kind of hijacked everything. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, is this, this is not, this was not what anybody asked for. Like deciding that we're all going to capitalize the word, the letter B in black is not fixing this. Like all of a sudden asking white people to go examine their whiteness and that you are inherently racist, like from birth, you have no choice because you're born into this system. That's not fixing the problem. That's just doing the absolute least to pretend like you're doing something when you're not really doing anything. And it's just, it's annoying because I had so much hope for this. I'm like, Congress was actually talking about bills to abolish QI. And now we're not even talking about qualified immunity anymore. Like, can we not? Like, can we please go back to what this was actually about? Can we stop doing performative bullshit? But like I said, just judging from what I've seen happen with past movements, with girl boss feminism, with the Me Too movement, I can already see where the anti-racism movement is going to end up. I can already see it. I've already seen this play before. I can already start to see the trends emerging. I can already start to see people 
start to bastardize the ideas and twist them to get it to be about the thing that you want it to be about so that you can affect your revenge on somebody. And instead of using Me Too, now you have anti-racism. I can see it coming. I can see it happening already. And bet six months from now, six months from now, everybody is going to be looking at the anti-racism movement the same way they look at the Me Too movement now as a thoroughly discredited movement that got warped into something that it was never meant to be. But here we are because people are assholes and they just can't help themselves. If you, People just want to stab other people in the back. People like watching other people bleed. And then this is just the new tool to make that happen. So yeah, I can see this ending up exactly where those two ended up. As a, as a tool for destruction and as a way to make money. And that's it. And any kind of substantial conversation that could have came out of this movement will be completely sidelined by people who basically just trash the movement. So yeah, that is my view of the future. And now you know what it is too. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of you probably agree with me. So I wanted to go ahead and just make this episode and get that one off my chest. So at this point, I am going to go ahead and wrap this up. If you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.